You're listening to the Soul Career Podcast, the podcast that brings you stories from people who've taken a risk to discover careers that fill them with purpose and make them come alive. I'm your host, Lysandra Ricketts, and I lead Soul Career, a coaching company that helps professionals, executives, and entrepreneurs to find and live their life's work and to lead authentically. So if you love this episode, let us know. Send us a message on Instagram at Soul Career. Now for the episode. Thanks for joining us at Soul Career. I'm Lysandra Rickers, and today I'm joined by my really good friend, Angela Rainford. Angela is the developer of one of the largest solar energy farms in the Caribbean, as well as a founder of a solar leasing slash distributed power company. So how did this power woman get to where she is today? So thanks for joining us, Angela. Great. Thank you very much for having me. So I wanted to start with the the solar plant, solar farm that you have out in Westmoreland at okay. Paradise Park. How did that project come into being? So to be honest, it was completely a little bit by accident and then definitely with a lot of additional help. So um, I left I left banking having wanted to be an entrepreneur for a very long time. And there kind of comes a point where you basically look in the mirror and you're either a banker or an entrepreneur <laughs> and then you have to make that leap of faith and so I left I guess in 2011 and basically started looking for investment opportunities um, I am from the Caribbean mm-hmm. so and I've always had an interest primarily in developing country markets so whether it's Caribbean sub-Saharan Africa and um, and so started looking at opportunities here in Jamaica and um, originally I was looking at agriculture because that's where my dad was um, in terms of sectors but the first project I worked on didn't quite work out. Right. And I got a phone call from an older gentleman. And when I say older, he's now he's 93 or <laughs> over 90. Um, and he basically said, look, I got to know you through ag- look at your agriculture project. Energy is changing in Jamaica, it's yeah. changing the Caribbean. So why don't you take a look at it? And I was frustrated at that point and told him, no, you're crazy. I'm going elsewhere. I'm going to do something else. Why were you frustrated? Because the first project took a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of bureaucracy that was involved. It was a, a potentially a government privatization, which didn't, it actually in the end didn't happen for after four or five years. Right. From yeah. when they announced the yeah. idea of doing it. And when you're used to working in an investment banking mm-hmm. um, kind of climate where things move very quickly, <clears throat> four or five years is not really an option in the, out, in the outset. And, um, and so no, so that's part of the reason why I got really frustrated. But in the long run, through that frustration, actually created the opportunity for the positive project, which we ended up developing and, and commissioning last year. And um, so I owe a lot to Mr. Phipps, who was a gentleman who called me and encouraged me to look at the energy sector. Right. So that's a, a bit of a story as to how I fell into it rather than necessarily having um, a specific plan at that point in time. Right. So you were an investment banker at Goldman Sachs, and I know you were in principal investing at Goldman, yes. which is investing Goldman's own money into yes. projects. That is like the cream of the crop, the tip <laughs> of the top. And you decided at that point to take a big risk right. and launch out on your own. Why did you decide that? What made you take that leap? Because it's so hard for right. so many people earning big six-figure salaries to now jump out to no salary. I, How did you do it? I think it's it's one, it's a little bit of madness. I think you have to have a little bit of that madness side because it's a leap of faith, right? So you have to try not to think of it too much, but follow your gut to some extent and decide, I just need to make that jump. 
But to be honest, when I walked in to hand in my resignation letter, I was shaking. Um, the, the the senior partner didn't even look at the letter in the end. He's like, don't worry, just, just don't tell anyone um, on the floor. But also he tried to counter offer. So he said, do you want me to counter offer to get you to stay? And that's it makes it even more challenging because once you've made that decision that you want to leave and then to have someone else say, you still don't have to leave. Let's find a way to keep you, um, keep you here. And then I remember saying, no, no, don't counter offer. I, I really have made this decision for myself. Why do you make that decision at that point in time? I think it, it, it depends on how you want to write your story mm-hmm. and what you view that to be. And I always knew, even in college, I ran a company, I enjoyed the experience. And for me, Goldman was always a stepping stone. And I had reached a point in my career where I knew enough to give me confidence that I had built a skill set that I didn't have before, which would be helpful in my next journey. But, um, but also I was in a position where I could, I had a bit of runway. I probably needed more runway than I expected, but I had a bit of runway to, to be able to be out there without necessarily having an income at that point in time. Right. Cause you had a bit of savings. Yes. Okay. So savings and I had paid off, um, I was very fortunate that I paid off a lot of my student business school debt. Right. Student loans. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So at this point you had a why in your head, you wanted to leave a legacy. Mm-hmm. You wanted to build something. Yes. Where did that come from? Probably it's all, it's a little bit innate, but to be honest, a lot for my dad. Um, my dad, he was a businessman he was self-made and on, it was not until he passed away that I actually realized how much of the journey he had been on Mm -hmm. because he never discussed it with us. I mean, he mentioned little bits and snippets of his childhood, but after he passed away, his sister took us to where they grew up and where they were born. And he was really, he was poor. Yeah. I mean, he grew up really poor, a small shack, as we call it in Jamaica with, at, at the time, I think they lost one sibling, but it was up to seven people living in effectively what we would view as a one bedroom, you know, one, and you just try to think of how did he go from there to giving me the opportunities that I had to be able to go to, you know, a Harvard or something like that. And, um, and so that was very inspiring for me to want to better myself. And even as a child, I always believed in maximizing your potential. You never know what your full potential is, but the duty that we have to ourselves, and I think to greater society, is just maximize whatever that may be and do the best that you can. So your dad, Henry Rainford, ended up founding a company that was listed on the Jamaica Stock Exchange yes. <laughs> in agriculture. And yes. he became a big beacon of business in Jamaica. And that's where you got your entrepreneurial energy from. Exactly. And even, I mean, just seeing him on the weekends, he would take us to, to go view properties as part of his company. We were bored because we we're like, we actually want to just stay in Kingston, enjoy ourselves, go shopping. But it was that discipline, that duty and that excitement about it and that creativity where your, your ownership, I think ownership for me became super important because I saw that through my dad. And um, I mean, his story again, just bumping back to that. He basically, he studied accounting. So he didn't have a chance to go to high school. He went to high school, but he didn't go to university. Mm-hmm. And he grew up in Sligoville, which as you know, is a very rural part of Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And at that time, he basically studied accounting by, by correspondence. So we're doing emails right now, you know, open university, but this is basically um, literally writing letters back and forth yeah. to London. Yeah. And then from there, he became an accountant for a company that he was supposed to undertake. I mean, the company was practically bankrupt and he spotted an opportunity that actually this company is not bankrupt. And so he started becoming more managerial, turning it around and, um, and buying up shares. So also investing, which is, I think is a super important part of entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. that it's not just a transactional 
thing, but also view it as an investment, both in yourself and in your business. And he did that. And before you knew it, he became the largest shareholder. And then, and just to put into context, this is Jamaica in kind of the sixties where there was a lot of change in Jamaica didn't even exist. Yeah. <laughs> People always tend to forget Jamaica wasn't even a country yeah. at that turn of that decade. And, um, and yeah, he walked into the boardroom one day and the guys were like, wow, something extraordinary has happened today. We have a man of color who's now the chairman of the board. Fantastic. Yeah. You decided to branch out, to build your own business. You came, you looked at an agriculture project, which I happen to know it's the Coco yes. project. Did you do your research? <laughs> I just remember because this was 2011 that was when I just met, met yeah, you, exactly. right? And you were looking at the, um, buying up the cocoa lands from yes. the government and yes. doing something with it. But it took really long. You got frustrated yeah, as things happen. When diaspora wants to invest in Jamaica, we have to move fast. Otherwise, true. we'll lose the opportunity, it's right? True, and so you got frustrated with Jamaica. You were yes. like, oh, I'm going to look in Africa. I'm going to look somewhere I else. went to Senegal. I was literally sitting in a cafe in Senegal when Mr. Phipps, the mm -hmm. Jamaica gentleman, called me. And I told him, oh, you're crazy, old man. He's like, no, come back home. <laughs> come back. We don't want to lose you yet. Right. Yeah. So we had... Uh, an amazing, brilliant Jamaican woman living in London, wanting to do something in Jamaica, got frustrated but found another opportunity, yes. which was the government again putting out an RFP yes. for an energy, a solar energy plant farm. Exactly, yes. yeah. exactly. So, um, so basically that was 2011, 2012. 2012 is when the government made a change in regulation, which effectively allowed independent developers to develop renewable projects without having a government partnership. And so I, I embarked upon that and hadn't done anything in energy before. I worked on maybe one or two deals at Goldman, but that was very academic in terms of just doing the modeling and things like that. So this was very much a learning experience and realized that there were certain building blocks that I didn't necessarily have myself. I think as being part of an, being an entrepreneur, it's all about being resourceful, right. right? Creating something out of nothing and figuring out who are the right partners or you know, groups that you want to partner with to be able to create something. So, so this in 2012, 2013, I partnered with a French company called Neon, and we embarked on the journey of developing the project, traveling around. I, I secured the lands for the project, built the relationships. A lot of the community engagement started there. And even today, it's, you know, to this day, that's super important because that drives a lot of what we do. And, um, and then we bid. And then on, in 2013, Unfortunately, we, we didn't win. So I don't think you're telling this story properly. Because, all right, all right, tell me more. Because <laughs> you went and you went to all these different sites in Jamaica to find yes. land. Trudging yes. around in your boots. And we lost some of them. Right. The day before the CEO from Paris. So I went, I basically went back to Europe to try and find investors. And um, I met, I had this meeting in Paris, it went really well, and uh, well, well with the CEO. There were other people in the room who were like, why are we looking at this thing in Jamaica? This is so random of a project. But he liked it, and he's also, and so he basically decided I'm coming, and I'm coming with an engineer to go and take a look. And the day before he arrived, I had three sites which I had secured, or in principle had an agreement with the landowner that they were interested. One guy called me up saying I've given it to somebody else, Another guy said he changed his mind about being in energy, even though a few years later he was trying to invest in energy. <laughs> um, and then the third one was, was still there, but that was the only thing that we had left. And so I had this moment where I'm thinking, oh my God, this guy is flying in from Paris. His engineer troops across from Australia and 
I don't have anything to show them. Yeah, because you had lost all the sites. I lost yeah. all the sites. And uh, and again, just bring up my dad again because he was very influential. And he would come with me occasionally to some of these things. Mm -hmm. He said, look, don't worry about it. These gentlemen are coming to see what you can do, not necessarily what you have, you know, not what you have right now, but what you could have. And what you need to show them is that you can open up the country to them. And that's why it is. So if I'm to take a lesson from your story to this point, it's that when you leave your nine to five to embark on your soul career as yes. an entrepreneur, the first thing you have to do is think about your network yes. and the resources you have to pull your vision together. Absolutely. And you had an incredible network from your time as a banker in London yes. and your network stretched into Paris and Germany and Australia. Nice. And you were able to pull together uh, a group of people who mm -hmm. will now look at this uh, RFP from the government as an investment opportunity. No, you're absolutely right. But it's and it's a combination of having the network, but you have to work the network because sometimes people may have something, but unless you you cultivate it and you and you 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 try, I mean, there's it's not always going to be successful. Again, just coming back to the French company I met to put into context, how did that happen? So basically when I started, I decided, let me go to Goldman and see if my, some of my XMDs, if they would back me. And I got a bunch of no's, which was really disappointing at that period of time. And I was waiting in the lobby with, um, with an engineering guy I was working with. And basically I was going to meet someone else. And one of the French MDs who I worked with, he came down the escalator and he's like, Angela, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm actually here to meet another MD, not you. And he said, what, you're not here to meet me? Call Sandrine, who's my assistant, who actually now is working with me, and tell her to set up a meeting for us, <clears throat> which I did. And so it was that moment in time, if you think about it, if I were not sitting at the lobby, at that point in time, when he came down the escalator and invite me to come and meet with him, he would not have been able to put me in touch with the, M with the, the owner of NeoN, who in the end backed me. And so that's what I mean about like working that network. Mm -hmm. Just try, go out there. There may be some yeses or noes, but it's all about trying to use whatever resources you have. Amazing. So now you've gone all over the world. You've pulled together financial backers. You've pulled yes. together people who could actually, I would say manufacture, but it's develop. Yes. <laughs> develop yeah, exactly. right? <laughs> the panels and right. the engineers and so on. And you put together this bid. And I remember you working on this bid day and night yes. until crazy hours in the morning, yeah, blood, sweat, and tears. It's a 24 seven role when you're an entrepreneur. And this was in 2012 and you yeah. submitted this bid and yes. you had this great pricing, everything. And then you lost it. Oh my God. You didn't win the and bid. And it still feels bad. <laughs> it still breaks. I remember it was October. And just to, again, to put into context at that point in time. So unfortunately my, my marriage, being an entrepreneur put a lot of strain in my marriage. So around the bid that was announced in October, around September, my marriage started to, to fall apart. Um, and neither party, to, there's never a sole party to blame. It's always a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. um, I blame so, him. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny. But okay, but it, it just wasn't, it just didn't work. And, um, and so I moved out of our marital home around that time and I didn't have anywhere to go. I'd already gone through my savings. Fortunately, I didn't have the debt, um, which again, I was really happy I got rid of that, but I didn't, you know, I had very minimal savings and I was living in London, which is one of the most expensive cities in the world. So a good girlfriend of mine, she offered, she opened up her home to me. Again, she had, was just getting married to her husband and I was basically the girlfriend about to get divorced. <laughs> 
sleeping on the couch in London. And even um, so, in October, we got the announcement. I was actually in their flat, and um, we had lost. And I was thinking, wow, okay, we didn't win the project. So all of that sacrifice, um, you know, you really start to test whether it made sense. Um, and then obviously, you know, my mar you know, we, the, my marriage had failed. I basically, you know, heard this. I had bad news on both fronts, professional and personal side. They were both effectively failing at the same time. And um, when you're, when you've done, you know, when you've worked so hard and you've achieved, you know, at that point in time, my CV looked great. <laughs> and then I almost like hit the self-destruct button by coming off that tried and tested path. And then on top of that, not only was my marriage failing, which, you know, for my, my family, especially it's a big deal because no one in my family had been, well, immediate family, core family had been divorced. My parents were married in the end for almost 50 years. And then obviously on the professional side, that wasn't going too well either. So the feeling, I felt very low. I mean, it's very deep, dark feelings that you start to go through and you start to have self-doubt. Yeah, and you were on your friend's couch, yeah. living on your I friend's mean, couch, coming from principal investing at honestly, Goldman Sachs oh my God, to living on your friend's couch with no money, no, no savings. It got So that was October and then Christmas started coming around. And um, my dad was like, are you coming home for Christmas? And I kid you not, I barely, I, I had so little money left in my account. It's like, uh, no, I think I'm going to stay in London this year. You're going to stay in London? You're not coming home for Christmas? Yeah, no, no, I'm fine. It's, you know, I have stuff to do over here. And the reality was that I didn't really have the money to buy that ticket mm -hmm. to go home. Yeah. I've never been at that stage. And so, again just not to rattle off the CV, but to put into perspective when you think you have a lot, but actually you're at that point and you, don't, and you have very little, to be, you know, to have two Harvard degrees, a Cambridge degree, to have worked at we are one of the most prestigious firms in the world, and to be living on a friend's couch in my 30s with not enough money to fly back to Jamaica, you know, I mean that, I was like, wow, what have I done wrong? So I want to pause on this point because I'm at the point now where I'm leaving this fantastic job, or I have left it already, right. nine to five, CEO of the Branson Center, amazing job to launch this venture that I've had in my mind for so long that is going to be my legacy that I want to leave in the world. And I am scared to <laughs> death of going through the valleys that you went through blowing all my savings, ending up on my friend's couch at 35 with no home, no money, <laughs> no and man. no man, and no <laughs> job, and no business. Right, right. <laughs> so how did you dig yourself out of that hole? So you dig out of it by remembering that even when you don't have those external things, you still have yourself, right? You have that internal factor. You still have your education. You still have your skills. Actually, being at that point in time in that valley, you now have that experience of failure yeah. and there's a lot that you can learn from it. I fail already, you know, I don't need no more failures. That wasn't <laughs> a failure for me, but continue. But, and then the other thing is, is what are you really afraid of? And I think maybe to your, your earlier question about that decision make, that decision point of leaving a place like Goldman where you're very comfortable. Yeah. For me, my bigger fear was to be on my deathbed, 70, 80, hopefully 90. I mean, I'm having a wishful thinking and thinking, wow, life went by so quickly and I didn't do what I wanted to do or I didn't even at least try. The not trying for me is more scary than the yes, failure. Yes. That is what I keep in my head that keeps yeah. me going forward. And so what I would encourage you and any of your <laughs> listeners to think about is 
just remember that. Remember what that fear would be like. Because even if you fail, let's put it this way, I failed, mm -hmm. right? And I had to dig myself back up, rebuild everything. I had to, at that point, go find a job because now I, you know, I had basically done my, I'd run out of my savings, right? I have no more runway to go do another startup. So I had to go find another job, which I did because remember what we have internally. I already had a good background, educational background. You just have, you need good friends as well mm. to kind of keep you going. Mm. And then um, just remember that if you were at 70, 80, what can you change at that point? Mm -hmm. You can't change at that point. If you fail and you're in your thirties, you can still, you can yeah. still like revamp, recreate and at least know that you tried and be proud of the fact that you tried. Right. Yeah. So I remember you got a job, you were a consultant at an investment firm that invested in Africa. Yes. A small shop run yes. by African guys who used to be in banking awesome that were your friends. Yes. <laughs> so they gave you a job. They're like, okay, we'll give you a job. And <laughs> <laughs> Feel sorry for me. No, but they, I mean, that, that was really great experience. And the other thing is, so when I left, going from a structured environment to being an entrepreneur was hard yeah. because I, you know, looked at the computer and like, make money, <laughs> computer, just make money. <laughs> tell me what to do. Cause when you're in a, in a job, people yeah. tell you what to do. Yes. You get your paycheck unless you get fired, but it's pretty much structure, right? This is the, this is the agreement. The reverse is even harder. I will mm -hmm. say just to prep you in the event, mm -hmm. the reverse is harder because at that point now I'm used to being my own boss. I'm used to being unstructured. And also that, that confirmation that, okay, it didn't quite work out. It, it was very challenging, yeah. um, but it doesn't mean it can't be done. And actually having been an entrepreneur who even failed, it made me a better professional when I went back. Okay. And that's part of the reason why they hired me is because not only did I have the experience I did before um, leaving Goldman, um, but being a developer, when I met with um, the, my, our potential investees, so companies, the owners of these companies, they treated me a little bit differently, knowing that I had at least tried that journey, which they had been on. Right. And it's kind of a, a badge of honor or like little stripes to know, wow, even whether it works out or not, you've been one of us, you've tried. So here you were working for um, this company mm -hmm. in London, but looking at African deals and you were actually looking at energy deals yes. in Africa yes. and you heard that the government, the company or the consortium that they chose for the bid that you had worked on, right. that consortium fell apart Okay, and they were reopening the bid. So basically what happened there, so they awarded, they awarded part of the contracts, they awarded three of them um, for all of the intermittent power that was bid. For the firm power, you're right, they couldn't find anything viable for firm power so they went back out and reissued the tender. And so yes, I was working a proper private equity job basically, mm -hmm. 9,200 hours, mainly in Africa. And my investors called me up to say, hey, it's, it's come back, Do you, we want to work on this again. Um, they changed the terms of the, the deal at that point, but it was fine. They gave me different options in terms of how we structure it. And I had I decided, you know what, let's go again. But that decision was very hard for you because yes. this was the thing that you failed at and you were like yes. am i really gonna go up after this again when i failed already going after it yeah but yeah. in the end you decided to move forward absolutely and the other the way in which i mitigated this time around because i didn't necessarily i hadn't had sufficient time to rebuild my savings um because i was an advisor for the funds and not an employee they gave me permission they're like look you can do whatever you want in your free time but whenever you come here you need to do what we need you to do so I worked two jobs. Right. And I worked three time zones. Yes. 
and you were flying back and forth. But I don't know how you do it with the energy that's required to travel to all these places on the schedule that you were on. You need a bit of madness. <laughs> oh, I mean, honestly, you've met more, probably you've met more entrepreneurs than I have. But the ones who I have met, there has to be something off. I don't know what exactly <laughs> that thing is, but you know what I mean, right? You're allowed because it's true. There has to be something you can't be, because otherwise if you're totally down the fairway and there's nothing wrong with being down the fairway, by the way, I just want to say not everyone needs to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Because if everybody, if we were all entrepreneurs, who would help the entrepreneurs yes. build like businesses, yeah. right? So you need that crazy person with the vision mm. and the energy to make it happen and the risk appetite as well, which yes. is super important. But you also need the foot soldiers, you need the soldiers mm -hmm. and the generals and the rest of the army to put it together. But um, So you put in the tender for the, again, the yes. second time yes. and this time you won. Yeah, I remember I was waiting up, actually a girlfriend came over to keep my company. And, and that day I had a very interesting conversation with a mentor of mine who ended up helping me. And he, it was actually almost heartbreaking because he looked at me and he said, Angela, I think you made a mistake. I was like, what? You know, that decision point about, it's like, well, you were on this right blue chip path and you've come off and it's no longer blue chip. And I was like, whoa, why? And I defended myself. I said, even though I respect him and I respected that he had his own opinion, I said, look, life is not about living a blue chip path. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Life is about living your own story. And for me, and this is just my personal opinion, the more interesting stories tend to be the ones that are off that beaten path because you can't, you can't be extraordinary by being ordinary. I completely agree with you. And the people that you're surrounded by when you go to Harvard undergrad, Harvard Business School, right. Cambridge, the people you're surrounded by, because we're all funneled on the path, yes. the blue chip path, yes. when you veer off of it, you get this echo chamber of you're wrong, you've made yes. a mistake, you're crazy. Exactly. And you feel, you question yourself. Yes. And if you're not, if you don't put yourself in places surrounded by entrepreneurs and visionaries who right. jumped and took a big risk to do something different, right. then you might go back into the default and you have to prevent yourself from going back to default. And default is easy. Right, yeah. actually coming off that path yes. is the more difficult decision yes. to make. Right, the more risky decision. So thankfully, this time it paid off. Yes. I don't know what would have happened if you failed again. You <laughs> would have gone again. Going. Yeah. yeah, I probably would have gone again. And, that, <laughs> and that's also a thing about most successful entrepreneurs. They have failed many times. Yeah, you may not know or see the failure, but because people tend to focus on the success and hold it as a beacon, but chances are they've been through two, three different yeah. you know failures. And um, I'm not going to get the numbers completely right, but there's an interesting like factoid or statistic that says that 90, after 95% of the sales are made after 95% um, of the calls or something like that. But mm. only 5% of the people actually make that call mm. after 95%. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that follows or if right. you... Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me when I'm trying to now get clients and generate sales in my own business, right? right? You have to build that momentum and yes. get to that point where now it becomes a system. Exactly. Yeah. And also, I'm going to do a call out to my female entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. um, women tend to not have as many opportunities in terms of that rejection yeah. as men do when they're growing up. Now, it's obviously things are changing. Um, everything's very fluid. But when I was growing up, females tended to not be the ones to ask someone, oh, we want to, do you want to go out? Yeah. Right. right. And yeah. just something as simple as that, yeah. just for a guy to have to do that and have someone say no, yeah. no, 
that is a training process yes. when they're really young that works really well when you do want to do something off the beaten path. Right. Because then you're used to hearing no and you just say, okay, they said no, but I'll try again. Keep going. Just keep going. So women, we need to take more risks. We need to ask for what we want, say what we want. And if it's a no, it's fine. Keep it moving. Right? Absolutely. So you won the bid yes. and fast forward to last year, mm. the solar plant farm has been <laughs> developed yes. and it's massive. It's Yeah, it is very big. I it's, saw a video and it's just miles and miles of solar panels out in Westland. <laughs> so it's 150 acres. It's the largest in English-speaking Caribbean. Um, it's one of the largest in the entire region and it supplies, it's the cheapest source of power for Jamaica, which is, which is super cool. So when are our light bills going to go down? <laughs> I know. Well, it should be an element towards it, but it only we're only using probably about five percent of the overall co you know electricity needs. What I would like to see is more. Yeah. And more also filtered through the system so that we can bring down the electricity bills because they shouldn't be this high in this market. So you having never developed a solar plant in your it's, life. See what I mean about madness? Yes. <laughs> Developed the largest solar plant in Jamaica, one of the largest in the Caribbean, 150 acres yes. of solar panels. It was a $65 million investment, US and Jamaica. And how did you, not having that experience, how did you do it? So it's funny, I get that question all the time. And um, there's, yeah, I think part of it is because it's like, totally against the odds, right? <laughs> Someone who's never done it before actually succeeding. And to be fair, it also it questions a lot of the other developers who have been in the industry for 20, 30 years. Yeah. And I can see that. I'd be annoyed too. <laughs> like this girl racks up who's <laughs> never done it before. And I've been here for 20, 30 years and I haven't done that. Yeah. Why? How could that be? And I think what a number of people tend to underestimate is the fact that energy, energy development is finance. It's just... Yes. It's just dressed up in a different coat. It's like a, it's a rat and a squirrel. The squirrel just has a more fancy fur coat, but they're really much saying they're rodents. And um, yeah, great metaphor. <laughs> but effectively, when you strip it back, and this is what happened the year before we finished building the plants, because we were doing the signing, and it was all contracts. Yeah. The entire plant, which we see now, is paper. It's yeah. on the basis of paper, and it's a paper of, of financing papers. So coming from a background of investing from private equity, actually, I think, gives you an edge in that part of it. Mm -hmm. Now, yes, I'm not an engineer. I know bits and bobs mm -hmm. of engineering. But you also, we work as a team yeah. and you can bring that skill set into the, into the mix. Okay, so a lot of developers tend not to be shareholders in the project. They right. tend to just develop it and go on to the next project. Yeah. How did you end up maintaining your shareholding? So, um, with a lot of grit, yeah. <laughs> stubbornness. And to be fair, again, just drawing back on my experience, if you, go, if you think about, remember what you have, your training, even if you're doing something a little bit differently, um, when we started to raise the money, unlike a number of other developers who may be just landowners or people who are not in the industry, I worked in, I worked in investing. Mm -hmm. So when the guys were on the other side trying to invest in the business, I could think like them because I was them at mm -hmm. one point in time. Mm -hmm. And all the tricks of the trade, mm -hmm. all the things where you try to not necessarily screw over the other partner, but to get to maximize your side of yeah. the pie, um, I would be like, I smile and go, guys. Come on. <laughs> like, I've seen that before. I know exactly what you're trying yeah, to do. Yeah. And so, I mean, for instance, even when Neo when we came the second time around, they changed the terms of our original agreement. 
the original agreement had them funding everything. Mm -hmm. And then I had basically a pre-agreed um, share of the development and also an ability to convert into equity. Second time around, this is now in 2015, um, you know, like in the matrix, get the blue pill and the red pill. They basically gave me an option saying, look, we're happy to fund, but we're going to really dilute you severely. Mm -hmm. um, beyond, not even market, like mm -hmm. really severely. Or you have a time frame by which you have to raise your own money. Mm -hmm. And if you're able to do that, then you keep, you eat what you kill, right? And being myself a little bit mad, and I was a little bit cocky. I was like, you know what? I'm going to take the red pill. I'm going I'm to run this one because I raise money from you. Why do you believe I can't raise money from somebody else? And so I went through that whole process. And in the end, I was successful in raising the capital. And I remember calling one of the gentlemen at Neon to ask for their wire details. And he's like, what? I was like, yeah, I've raised the money. Mm. I was like, really? <laughs> he's like, I didn't. And he was honest. To be fair to him, he said, you know what? Fair play. I didn't expect you could do it. But you did it, so well done. You know, congratulations. So there's so many points where you could have said, this is just too hard. I'm just, oh, I can't. I'll just take the easy pill, not the hard pill. Yeah. And you kept taking the hard pill. Man, so made... I'm really proud of you and everything you've achieved. Okay. And building this massive 150-acre farm out in Westmoreland, right. in Jamaica, the country of your birth, giving back in this way is just phenomenal. Thank you. And I, I think just to add, Thank you. Well, first of all, thanks for that acknowledgement because when you're in that mix in the up and down, because it's never a straight line, you tend to forget that. But um, I remember when we were having our hard moment, trying to just get things signed and negotiated. I remember thinking, you know what, this is bigger than, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than solar. This is to encourage all the young Jamaican girls or any, you know, developing country women to say, look, you can do something like this too, because she's done it so why can't you do it and that's been not just me but my inspiration comes from people who've done that mm -hmm. for me yes you know whether it's male or female people of color coming from a poor background even my dad you know to be able to see that something like that can be done really removes that ceiling or that doubt as to whether you can do it right. and i'm excited that someone else may come after me yeah and hopefully my story has given them a little bit of And that just shows me the importance of having this vision that is pulling you through the hard times. Yes. This idea in your head of what you want to create, no matter what's happening and how hard it gets, right. if you hold on to that end of vision, then you can make it through. Exactly. And that's where that passion, that madness that we keep coming, I and mean, we might make like a recurring theme. Mm -hmm. It's about that passion. It can't just be about trying to make money. If I was just about making money, I would probably just take it easier, save at the bank yeah. and just hope they didn't fire me. Yeah. You know, just keep yeah. going until the, yeah. the roulette game ends. But I find when people tend to be able to come out of those depths of despair, it's when there's something a bit almost, I don't want to say religious, but it's almost like a, there's like this on your, there's this desire that you can't put out yeah. and you need it. It's not a want, it's not a desire. It's like, look, I actually need this for whatever reason it, it is for you. Yeah. yeah. So now your solar plant is finished yes. and you have now moved on to a new venture, yes. just like a typical <laughs> entrepreneur. Can you I started a solar leasing company called yes. Soleco Energy. Yes. So how did you transition from building one thing, your baby, saying goodbye to it and building something else? Yeah. Right. So, um, so basically I, I get bored fairly easily <laughs> and I like creation yeah. and I, and I enjoyed, I actually, I, whilst there are maybe dark moments, I love what I do. And I'm 
and I recognize the privilege of being able to do what I do. And I really appreciate it. Yeah. And so what started to happen following the Paradise Park project was I started getting approached by, now it was easy to, easier to raise money. I wouldn't say easy, yeah. but the first time, super hard. The yeah. first time's the hardest, right? Before, because you don't have anything to show. And um, now I had people coming to me saying, hey, if you want to do something, we're happy to back you. And the industry was also moving. And I thought, wow, this is a future. This is where the industry may be moving in the future. Someone's going to do it. Yeah. It might not be me, but someone's going to do it. And if I don't do anything, it will definitely not be me. So why don't I give it a try? Mm -hmm. Right? And I'm not going to sit there and not do anything. That's not my nature. It's yeah. yeah. So you worked your network again, yes. raised money again, yes. and have now launched Soleco Energy, which is a solar distribution. So it's, it's a leasing model. So basically what we do is we are helping, we finance um, solar installations for commercial and industrial clients. Mm. So whilst Paradise Park was a utility, classic utility scale development, where it's large, we sell to the grid, um, the grid is our client. In this case, we are facilitating commercial and industrial companies to basically have their own um, solar and energy storage. And it's going to operate not just in Jamaica, but throughout the region. Exactly. So our goal right now, so again, it's like the entrepreneur, right? You've done one thing, so you want to move it to the next yeah. level. So we're looking at projects in throughout the region, um, but I'd like to also move it, not just Caribbean, maybe Central America, but I'd love to go back to Africa. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and this this model would would really work for Africa, in my opinion. Yeah. So how do you how do you do it? Again, as an entrepreneur, you you think strategically, big picture, but you need tactics, mm -hmm. right? And I think the game plan is play to your strengths, the market that you have a network, figure out the model because the model yet hasn't been completely figured out. I think not just by us, but by anyone in the model that works, and then make it programmatic. Copy, paste, copy, mm. paste, copy, paste. That's how you scale. Yeah. So we're now at the very beginnings, um, the high risk period yeah. where I may be also, hopefully I'll never end up on a couch again. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't, but which is a very, you know, again, privileged position to be in. But you need to start with something that you know may fail, mm -hmm. but you, you go with it and you give it all that you have. All right. All right. So on that note... Thank you so much for sharing your journey, the highs and especially the lows, because people just see the success and they don't understand what is behind that success. And as your friend who was there the whole journey, I had to share that side of the story as well. You went through a divorce, you went through a failure. And I forgot to add, my dad passed your away. Your dad passed <laughs> away right in the middle of everything. Yes. Who was your beacon and your rock right. throughout this whole process. And that was very hard for you. Absolutely. And to see what you've been able to turn all those challenges into is phenomenal. People think that you go to Harvard and you go to Goldman and your life is set and you just have a salary and you're rich and no, that's no. it for the rest <laughs> of your life. But for the people who come off that path, mm. it's not set, it's not clear. Even though you have the privilege of an amazing education, you still experience failure, mm. you still experience being broke, right? Yes, yes. On the way to putting your vision out in the world. Absolutely. So thank Thanks you for, for sharing me. that. No and thank you guys. And if you're interested in working with us, Soul Career Coaches, go to our website at soulcareer.com or send me a message on Instagram and I'll make sure to reply to you. Thanks. If you love this episode, remember to hit subscribe and leave us a review. And if you're a professional, executive, or entrepreneur that's interested in taking one of our coaching programs, head on over to soulcareer.com and sign up for a free consultation. 
We'd love to hear from you.